must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support and now for the show. And you mentioned that, you know, this is something that could be integrated into entry-level PT and PTA education. And uh, a lot of the things that I think Zach mentioned is stuff that would be useful to know even in a live patient interaction, not just in a digital-based patient interaction. A lot of the conversations that are going on in education seem to be going more towards like, how can we improve motivational um, interviewing? How can we make sure that our subjective history is improving so that we can make that diagnosis with just a history and maybe add a a little bit more of the physical exam versus relying just on a physical exam. As expert, as we become more expert clinicians, the literature says that we rely more on a subjective history than on a physical exam anyway. So maybe you guys could touch a little bit more on how we can include this in entry-level PT and PTA education. It's already jam-packed full of stuff. So how can we integrate this into um, education? And if we are going to do competency-based education with this, how would we even measure that? So I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that. Right. That's an excellent question. So let me jump in first. And I know Zach's ready too, um, and as well as Katie. What, what I see building out is it's not adding more courses or removing courses to add more courses because, again, we, are, we have to be mindful of the, you know, the consumer, the student. You know, we don't want to add student debt, right? We want to minimize some of those issues and address some of the current you know, hot topics as well. But why not build out case studies already embedded in your coursework? such as in your orthopedic class, you know, when we're doing this at the Mount already, not only do case-based, you know, or problem-based learning, but why not have a case study that says, you know, you can't touch the patient. You're going to see them through a telehealth or a digital practice model. What can and what can you not do? What are the limitations, but, but also what are some benefits? And can you do that in cases, not only in ortho, but in neuro, in cardiopalm? Uh, in geriatrics and other courses in Tegument, which I teach, you know, we use lots of photos to look at wound progress and, and improvement or not, not improving to get the patient back into the clinic. So build out these cases, but also deliver content uh, this way, not only by yourself, because if you don't feel comfortable, you're not going to be competent in it. Therefore, maybe have experts around the countries, uh, which we already do, right? Uh, like said, Zachary and Katie and others, and get them involved in your coursework digitally to have your students see how this can be delivered safely, competently, 
but also, you know, answer those questions for students because if they can't see it, right, if they volunteered in a clinic and they, they didn't see any digital practice, then that's not what they're going to be comfortable with, but have a capability to not only have students uh, develop future of their practice in classroom, but also outside of the classroom with some role models. And that's what I think will be some of the benefits uh, in terms of uh, how we do it in the future with academia. I think it's important to note as well that there are several studies which look at the validity and reliability of our more traditional physical therapy assessment and, and examination skills and what you're able to do without putting your hands on a patient. And they found that, that uh, using a digital environment to perform many of the same skills that we would use for, for I think the study specifically that I've seen are for low back pain and for knee pain, using a low back and a knee assessment, that they are valid and reliable, that we can use them digitally and still get good information from those exam skills that we already teach in our traditional curricula. So, you know, from my mind, I'm very much of the same mind as Dr. Lee. We don't need a separate course to talk about telehealth or digital practice. What needs to happen is that this needs to be a recognition by faculties as a whole that this is coming and this is here and we have a responsibility to make sure that our graduates are prepared for the change in workforce that is on the cusp that is, will be here very very shortly um, and that i think we're doing our students a disservice if we're not preparing them in that way um, to be able to be uh, relevant to the workforce needs that are coming so in my mind how do we get the entire faculty on board with, with threading this through a curriculum? I think that's really what needs to happen. And, and it doesn't have to be in ways which are burdensome. It can be, as Dr. Lee mentioned, through use of, of example cases in classes. It can be through the use of practical, uh, practical cases that you, you force students to consider a digital environment. There are ways to incorporate this that are not burdensome and that don't add curricular time or bloat but which will enable students to get real world practice and, and utilize these skills. And I think as Dr. Lee mentioned, one of the great things is that you may not need an expert in your, in your department to help make this happen. Who else is across campus? Are, are there interprofessional programs at your campus where there's someone who's able to say how this works in nursing or, or physician assistants or with medicine? Can you bring them into your program and help your students get an idea of what that looks like then? Can you partner across the university? Do you have educational technologists at your university? Do you have folks in the IT department even who you could bring in and, and help your students understand this process better? I think that's really where the, you know, we, can, we can use this digital environment as a, as a proof of concept, right? That if you bring someone in digitally to help instruct your students about a digital environment, you're proving the concept through the education. So I think that there's a lot of, of interesting ways that you can go about doing this without needing every physical therapy faculty member to be an expert in them themselves. I will just add on um, to all of the wonderful things that Zach and Alan has already mentioned. Um, not that there's a whole lot that I can add to that, but um, I think that there's a lot of creative ways that we can um, get PT, student PTs and student PTAs working together collaboratively and digitally at the exact same time. So why can't my PTA students here in Ohio work with Allen's PT students in California on simulated um, digital patients? So if we can just be creative, um, the majority of our colleges and universities already have a ton of technology embedded into our systems. Um, we just have to find a way to harness that 
and um, make it work for um, make make it work for our own good. Um, again, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, um, but there's no reason why we can't uh, get two things um, checked off of our list at the same time with PT PTA collaboration and uh, a digital platform. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Katie, about ensuring that we are collaborating with, with PTAs in on this because the care that we provide to patients a lot of times is not just the physical therapist and the, and the patient. So making sure that we are taking a team-based approach because ultimately in medicine, they figured out, they are figuring out how to do this telehealth thing. And it's not just physicians that are doing it. It is nurse practitioners. It is PAs. And so healthcare is becoming much more of a team-based approach, especially with where payment is going with some of these alternative payment models that you've mentioned. So making sure that we are including PTAs and in, the, in this and making sure that this is a team-based approach, especially when it comes to digital health. Right. I'm going to put a shout out for our, our con team that's going to be coming on in the future as well. Uh, you know, courses in ethics, I think, is important. Uh, you know, this is not something you can do like in your Hawaiian shirt on a boat. Right. This is not something you can do at Starbucks where you can't see the individual where there's a lot of noise and chatter on the other end. So this is just just as similar to other practice settings that we have. You have to have a digital clinic. Uh, and also the patient at their home or wherever they're going to be in a mobile kiosk in a clinic setting where there's going to be not a lot of distractions, kids running around or dogs in the background, where you can't really have this interaction of the patient and the provider. So even in ethics, right, in your coursework that you can build out. And also, I think, you know, having, you know, bioethicists and even not within PT, but like we mentioned, interprofessionally, we are better together. I, I'm glad that you uh, made a shout out to the con team, Dr. Lee, because um, it is worth mentioning that they will be coming on our podcast as well to talk about this very issue, um, arguing their side of the story, I guess you can say. Um, and, and, you know, I think you guys did a really good job today showing us how digital, how technology can really help us relax and help us provide that ease of care to our patients. The con team, as I uh, hear, dressed up as Teletubbies. I'm interested to know why they did that. So they'll be on our podcast as well in the near, near future, talking about some of the challenges of integrating telehealth into um, as a core competency. Uh, however, uh, I would love to hear your guys' uh, opinions on these challenges. So what are, the, are some of the challenges in making telehealth a core competency into entry-level PT and PTA education? And, and I'm talking like at the macro level, like what's going on with APTA, ACAPT, CAPT, FSBPT, um, and then at the program level uh, to make this happen? I will go ahead and talk a little bit about um, from a PTA educator perspective, and um, one of David Taylor's points, which I believe may have been um, a burn on us, was whenever uh, he mentioned that uh, clinical sites, clinical education sites would be very difficult. There was like a wave of ACCEs and DCEs that got up and moved from one side of the room to the other. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, oh, no. <laughs> but um, as an ACCE, this is something that's near and dear to my heart because um, I understand the struggles, um, the daily struggles of finding quality clinical placements. It happens every day. But um, my argument against that is that we graduate PTAs as generalists, 
So we're expecting that they're going to dig deeper into their practice niche after graduation. Um, so, you know, thinking of my history in the clinic, um, I, I worked in aquatics and in school-based pediatrics, neither of which I had a clinical rotation in. Um, I figured that out on my own after graduation. I did the research, I did the work, um, and I was successful in doing it. But I didn't actually have a clinical exposure to that in school. So I don't know that I fully believe that you have to have a clinical exposure in school to be successful in these um, different areas of practice. Um, the other end um, that, that could be a challenge for PTA educators is a time crunch. So many of us are restricted to 60 to 65 credit hours in PTA programs. That doesn't give us a lot of room to add um, anything else or squeeze anything else into our programs. Um, especially given what is expected from the university, from uh, testing requirements and CAPTI standards. So I, I would like to, again, mention that um, we don't necessarily have to add a course in order to make this happen. There's lots of creative ways that we can integrate this and thread it into our programs rather than us thinking very large and adding new courses. Um, and then it's possible that in the future, if there's ever a multi-level um, degree entry into the PTA career, um, thinking like a nursing model, having an associate's or a bachelor's degree, that could open up the potential for tracks of education and areas of interest for um, PTAs um, as far as being a little more specialized in a specific area. I'll add to that. I, I think there are a number of challenges uh, that, that we can address when we look at integrating telehealth, telerehab into our, our education, into our advocacy, and into our practice, generally speaking. Um, you know, I think the first one is that there's a perception, at least that I'm, this is from just me speaking here, but I believe there's a perception that, that this is still way off in the future. Um, that if you're not actually keeping on top of the trends and you're not seeing this, that you may not realize how soon that this will reach a critical mass and tip our profession over. Um, so I think that there's still a bit of a, a lag, if you will, within um, some within health professions who, who may not realize just how fast this is coming at us. So I think that's one of the barriers. Uh, you know, from my perspective, this is going to be here and, and we're either going to be ahead of the ship or we're going to be playing catch up. Um, and so if we don't want to be playing catch up, now is the time to really have these conversations and figure out how do we move this forward. Um, so I think that the perception out there that this is a long way away is one of the challenges. Um, I think another one of the challenges is that there are very few folks, at least that I'm aware of, on a national level who have actually experienced this. Um, and I think that some level of experience is helpful to see the feasibility because I think for many people, if you've not experienced it, you, you may question, well, okay, yes, there's this literature that we can do these valid assessments, and there's this cost-effectiveness literature that says it's not inferior, but really, you know, it's, we all know it's not the same thing, could be some of the arguments. And I think that if you haven't experienced or seen this or had exposure to it, um, it's very easy to discount some of, some of the, the studies and results that are coming out. Um, so I think that those are two of the challenges that we face on a macro level. Um, and my hope is that, you know, through this podcast and through this Oxford debate and through other means, that we'll be raising awareness first that this is here now. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is here now, and we need to be proactive in addressing this, I think, um, so that we're not, you know, uh, the, the phrase I will use is 
um, when I was learning about advocacy work for the first time, one of our state senators told me, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so I think that's really our, our choice um, for our profession is, are we going to be at this table or will we be on the menu? And I think that the, the act, the Connect Act that's before Congress is a good bell, bellwether of what's going to happen. Are we going to rally behind this? Are we going to see the uh, advantages of being approved providers by Medicare? Or are we going to say, you know what, that's, that's the future, that's a long way off. I don't personally have any interest in practicing in a digital environment, and so this isn't worth my time or effort. Um, I think we're really at a critical junction right now. Ryan, I echo what Zachary and Katie had mentioned to all of us. And for your listeners, I would uh, venture on, as a consumer yourself, you should have a telemedicine visit. I mean, most of our insurance plans covered this. So if you haven't been in the trenches actually doing it as a consumer or as a patient yourself, you don't really know what this is like. Therefore, you need to have your own exposure and experience in it, but also learn from other experts that are out there in the literature, also what APTA would support, uh, such as the ELC found these folks like Zachary and Katie for a reason. So stick to those folks within the APTA, the FSBPT, the ELC, the PPS, uh, resources and the speakers in those groups, people who show up and deliver content, those are going to be the experts that, that, that I think you should draw from. And lastly, what we need is that advocate. We need research. We also need further help around uh, health services research funding for us to move us forward together. So again, Stephanie, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you and Brandon. Well, thank you, Dr. Lee and everyone. As you know, we really appreciate all of your time and insight and especially all of your work that you guys have done in preparing for this debate, but also we also real highly respect your contributions to our profession, not just on this avenue, but all the other stuff you guys have done. And, you know, of course, it wouldn't be a HET podcast episode without asking, of course, our final question. Now, this does not have to be telehealth related. This can be anything related to um, healthcare education, whether that be undergrad, entry-level, post-professional. So the sky is the limit for this last question. So here it is. If you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether that be physical therapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? I'll go ahead and, and, and start here. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, what comes to mind for me about one aspect that I would change is the keynote address at ELC in 2017, I believe. Um, where the address was talking about our social responsibility as, as health professionals and, and our social contract with society. And, and that keynote has really resonated with me and it has really driven what I'm interested in pursuing and how I'm interested in pursuing it now, um, you know, which is how, how, are we, how are we moving to better assist society, right? APTA's vision, transforming society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience really it begs the question, what are we doing to really respond to society's needs? So I'm working on a PhD in health promotion, and, and the question is, you know, what are we doing as a healthcare system to actually promote health rather than just react to disease? You know, communicable diseases have been largely replaced by non-communicable diseases as, as the contributors to the burden of disease in our country. How is our education reflecting this difference? How is the way that we're conceiving of our care and services to society reflective of this difference? How is that priority addressed in our educational models, in our payment models, in our delivery models, such as telehealth, 
how are all of these things being driven and, and how do we look at the social environment and the social determinants of health and how do we move beyond the clinic upstream where health begins, right? How do we get to where health begins, not just where it ends? Um, so if I could change an aspect of healthcare education, it would be this big picture awareness and understanding of all of our education, I think, should fit under this realm of how are we serving society? Because society's needs have changed in the last 50 years, and our educational models have not changed very much to respond to it. So that, that would be kind of, it's a, it's a global kind of abstract concept. But I think if we could pivot that, there would be many, many downstream effects which would improve not only our practitioners and our clinicians coming out of our education programs, but our patients we serve and society at large. So I don't know if you've heard or not, but the PTA turned 50 this year. So happy birthday to all of the PTAs out there. Um, you know, 50 years, uh, it's just amazing how far we've come. Um, we've come a long way. But I still think that there's so much more that we can do from an academic and educational standpoint with our, our PTs and PTAs um, to get us where we need to be. I would love to see us break down some barriers between um, student PTs and student PTAs in the educational um, portion. And a lot of that is, again, due to time restraints and, and location restraints and um, clinical rotations. But I, I, I just feel like if we could find some creative ways to tie our education together, um, for example, using two-to-one clinical models, having PTA students with PT students at the same time overlapping in a clinical setting. Um, I have found that that's very um, successful for both the PT and PTA student. Um, finding unique ways to connect them not only in person and on campus, but digitally, digitally would be great too, um, so that we're not just checking off that box, but that we're finding ways to do our best to make sure that they really understand each other and our roles and how we can serve our patients the best. Again, congratulations to the PTA education, 50 years, you know, come long ways, right? And as we move to the next 100 years of physical therapy profession, uh, from, you know, as we celebrate this in the centennial coming up in a couple of years, uh, one thing I would love to see our profession do is really look at where we are past 100 years, but moving forward in the next 100 years, but also address the immediate needs as well as Zach and, and Katie, I mentioned the long-term needs. So one thing that's an immediate need is such a thing as student debt. Um, uh, how do we address this in academia? And are we having conversations and discussions with maybe things like digital practice that would help us to minimize the debt? As Katie had mentioned earlier, you know, clinical rotations are very difficult and challenging. But if we look at other professions like speech therapy, they're using digital practice forms to supervise students and also check in on students to minimize debt as well. So can we learn from other professions within rehab, but also outside, as I mentioned in medicine and others earlier, that, that could help us to, again, address student debt and get involved with um, you know, interprofessional teaching, learning, therefore we're not living in our silos. And I would love to see us moving forward with technology, uh, digital practice, 
And also, you know, my responsibility, I think, is to kind of shepherd along the competencies that it is required, because I would not want a student to right out of graduation, get into digital practice without some competencies and some training that could be built out. I mean, we have those resources, but we could be much better at those resources with our advocacy and our research funding within physical therapy. So our leaders in the profession, if they hear this uh, podcast, they need to be mindful, but also support us. We don't want to be on the menu. We want to be at the table. Well, I really appreciate those answers because I think there's a lot of value and valid points that you all bring up in response to that final question. Um, I know, of course, you know, this seems to kind of align pretty consistently well with a lot of the other themes and responses we've gathered um, throughout the years we've done this podcast. So I really appreciate that. Um, and Zach, I'll be honest, that one phrase that you had kind of just said earlier on just really stuck with me very strongly. So I also recognize that people perhaps want to do a little bit more reading on this topic in regards to telehealth. I know you guys had all mentioned numerous resources throughout the episode already, but um, for those people that are a bit more curious, where would you direct people um, online um, to further do their own research and reading to even maybe bring up some other points for consideration to this discussion? Um, APTA has a great uh, resource at www.apta.org backslash telehealth. Um, it's a fantastic resource, and I had received a lot of information in preparation for our debate from that um, particular website as well. Yeah, and not only APTA, but outside of our profession, if you look at the American Telemedicine Association, or if you look at the FSBPT resources that are freely available, even our academies and sections have built out different resources like in private practice. Those are important kind of resources for your uh, listeners to kind of read through. But also the CSM 2020 will have at least four or five different telehealth uh, presentations, including the next conference next summer, we'll actually have a, a debate around tele, telehealth as well. Uh, so there'll be further education opportunities if you like to attend conferences. And also, I mean, conferences are not just for learning, but also networking. Therefore, you need to meet some of these experts. And, you know, most all of us attend these conferences, and not just students, but educators should meet each other and not just work in our own silos, but also build relationships because this is how we get this moving forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And listeners, if you are listening and kind of have interest in looking into some of those resources, um, all you really need to do is kind of either scroll down on your phone or on your computer, whichever um, platform you're viewing this podcast from, and pretty much all the resources that our guests had mentioned, along with some of the research that was mentioned, will be right there in the show notes for you easily to access. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that. Um, but again, I wanted to thank all of you for, you know, the time today that you guys have spent sharing your insight. But of course, along with thanking you again for all the tremendous work you all have done, not even just in telehealth, but on numerous avenues regarding to our profession and education. So I, I really appreciate all that you guys do. And uh, thank you so much again for your time and insight today. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you so much, Zachary and Katie. Happy holidays to you all. Again, it's, I'm just very proud of what the work you guys are able to do with your students and with your faculty. And again, Brandon and Stephanie, thank you for our, this opportunity. Yes, thank you all. This has been a, a pleasure to speak with all of you and a, a chance to get to kind of get on one of my soapboxes and uh, discuss things that I'm really passionate about and care about. So, uh, Alan and Katie, it's good to see you again as, as well. And thank you, Brandon and Stephanie, very much for this opportunity. Yes, um, I would like to echo all of the thank yous. and. I'd like to send out uh, an, a special thank you to Scott Yuffie and Debbie Ingram 
and the whole con team, David Taylor, Tana Wilkinson, and Nancy Kirsch, not only were they fun to work with, but they were all, they're all amazing leaders in the field. And quite honestly, I was just honored and blown away to be on stage with all of them. So um, thank you, Brandon and Stephanie and um, Alan and Zach. Um, it's been a, a good, good ride. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.